All right, you just saw a clip from the movie uh, The Avengers. How many of you have seen any of the Marvel Comics Universe pick, uh, movies? Have you seen any? That's, that's most of the people in the room, okay? Uh, if you haven't, that's okay if you're not as nerdy as the rest of us. This is what I, every time a movie comes out, my daughter and I go see these Marvel comics. Uh, they're fairly clean. Um, we go watch those together. But um, there's the theme where they're called the Avengers for a reason. And it's something that, that goes across cultures throughout the world is this idea of the strong exacting justice on behalf of the weak and against those who would exploit the weak and helpless. Is we have this idea of justice to where they are to avenge on behalf of the weak against the strong. That's the Avengers. And that's a human theme that has been th true throughout the ages. It, it was true early in the Bible with the idea of the kinsman redeemer. Uh, if someone's brother would pass away after a long illness or something like that and the family was hurting financially... It was the job of the kinsman re redeemer, the Hebrew word for that is the goel, uh, to provide an heir for the brother, to get the land back in the family, to get relatives out of slavery if they were put in slavery, and then finally, here's where the avengers come in, to avenge a death. And this is what we see God has been doing in the Exodus story, is he's getting his people back to the promised land, out of their slavery, but God is also avenging the deaths of the, one who, of the ones who worked against his people. Uh, Galatians 6, 7 tells us, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows that he will also reap. So the people of Egypt have been sowing, building the their country on the backs of the Hebrew people. Hey, guys, if we could, can I get my slides on the back screen so I don't have to keep looking at this? It's, it's here, but it's not there, if y'all could fix that. Okay? Well, now I lost it here. I'd like to have it both. All right? So, so uh, here, here's what we see is you've had 400 years of slavery plus 80 years since abortion was legalized in Egypt. And so what God did because of this, he avenged all of this by killing over a million Egyptians. A million Egyptians had lost their lives. But there was one powerful group left that God hasn't attacked through the, through the plagues at this time. And you see the armies of Egypt, they had over 40,000 foot soldiers, highly trained. He had over 600 special chariots and then another 100 chariots on top of that. I mean, 1,000 chariots on top of that. And they were the most powerful army the world had known to this time. And God is going to get glory by showing that he is more powerful even over Pharaoh and his army. He, God is going to be the capital A Avenger. Uh, now, why does he do it this way? Um, if... Um, Michael Jordan came into the congregation today, and I saw him there, and many people would argue that Michael Jordan is the greatest of all time. He's the GOAT. He's the greatest basketball player of all time. Now, if he came here today at all 58 years old uh, that he is, and I saw him walk in, and I said, hey, Michael Jordan, today is your day to prove that you are the GOAT. Right now, well, I'm going to challenge you to go take me on over in the gym, one-on-one, Mono Imano, and see if you can beat Steve Willis. Because if you beat Steve Willis, then that will prove that you are the greatest of all time. 
Now, how many of you would agree that that would prove that Michael Jordan was the greatest all time if at 58 years old he could beat the 50-year-old Steve Willis? How many of you would agree that? All right, that's one person. Thank you, Jacob. I know you really don't mean that, but my mommy's probably saying that I could do it too, right? But most of you didn't raise your hand. But let's say this, that he walked in and KD, Kevin Durant, and LeBron were here in the room as well right now at they, where they are in their career. Let's say KD's not hurt, all right? So, and I say, okay, Jordan, you go over to the gym right now, and those two are going to take you on two-on-one, and let's say the 58-year-old Jordan beats them both at the same time. Then could he probably make claim that he's the greatest of all time? The answer to that would be what? Yeah. Why? Because he just took the two best players on the planet and he beat them even at 58 years old, okay? This is what God does with the Egyptian army. He says, I want to take the most powerful force the world has ever known. I'm going to take them on and I'm going to show them when I avenge what they have done to my people Israel, I'm going to show that I am the greatest of all time and I'm going to get glory by this, right? So that's the story that we're going to see today. Um, next, okay. In this map, we see the Exodus route. Now, this is what we got to understand. Here's Egypt. Here's the Nile River. Okay, this is a modern picture. Uh, this is the Nile River, River Delta, um, land of Goshen, where the Hebrew people lived at the time. They're going to move east. Now, eventually, they want to go up here to the Promised Land. There's Jericho, Jerusalem, up in that area. That's Israel. The shortest way to go, the most logical way to go, would take the highway at that time called the Way of Horus, that was like their interstate along the sea. It's flat. It's easy. There's water nearby. Now, this way would have been tough because you had Egyptian fortresses all the way along the way because if anyone would ever want to attack Egypt, you'd have to come this way. It's too hot, too dry, no water to come through the desert to take an army through that. And so if you couldn't defeat all the Egyptian armies down through here, you would never make it to Egypt. So what God does is he's not going to take them that way. He's going to take them this way. But this way doesn't work. You can't usually get there this way because back then this was all the Red Sea. Now it's the Suez Canal over there. But you would have had to cross the Red Sea. You would have to have a navy. Now moving 2 million people over that water, you're not going to be able to do that. Okay, but this is what God does. He takes them down to this area. To the south, you've got nothing but desert, okay? If you go back this way, you run into Pharaoh and all his armies. If you go to north, you hit the Egyptian fortresses. You're not going to win there. They're going to come right here to the edge of the Red Sea. Everybody get that on the pictures? Okay, all right, so let's pick up where we left off last week. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. They didn't take the short route up where they would face battles along the way. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and they'll return to Egypt. I know that if they face trouble, they're going to get scared and want to go back. So the Lord went before them by day a pillar of cloud to lead them, and by night a pillar of fire. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night, and it did not Depart from among the people. How many of you wish, man, I'm like this. How many of you wish that God's will, his path and direction for your life was always so clear, like his hand would appear before you, go this way, all right? Wouldn't you like that if it was always that simple? Yeah, I mean, you might be in the middle right now, I need to know God's will. Well, here's the cloud, it will give you the answer, all right? 
you, really, on all these miracles that we're seeing in the Bible, where they're happening over and I mean, just supernatural big miracles. We still see miracles today, but not like what we see in the Scriptures. And sometimes people ask the question, why don't we see them all the time like they did in the Bible all the time? Well, here's the deal. They didn't see them like that all the time in the Bible. They saw them only during this period. This is the first time anything like this has happened in the history of the world here in 1446 B.C. We see them now with the deliverance of the law, with the scriptures that went along with that. We're going to see it. We'll talk more about this tonight, but we see that at the time of Elijah and the prophets, when you're the time of the prophets, so you had the law, the prophets, and then we're going to see them again when Jesus and his apostles are delivering the New Testament. That other than those three major time periods, you don't see mass miracles going on all the time. They always come with the delivering of a new section of God's word, okay? So we move on to chapter 14. God speaks to Moses, and he says, tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp. Now, I'm not going to go all these names, but camp by the sea. And Pharaoh will say to the people of Israel, uh, or say of the people of Israel, they're wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. Pharaoh's going to see them wandering in the desert and say, those stupid Hebrew people, don't they know anything? They've trapped themselves down by the Red Sea. And God says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all of his hosts. In other words, I'm going to prove I'm the goat. I'm the greatest of all time, a Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. Do you remember earlier when Pharaoh said, well, who's the Lord? I don't even know who he is, okay? Um, they had forgotten. That, watch it. This is really important. Larry Lucas pointed this out to me this morning, and I, I said, I'm going to add that one in, okay? Do you remember just 200 years before this? There's a reason they had the most powerful army in the world, and they weren't wiped off the face of the earth. It's because God, Yahweh, had revealed to Pharaoh through his servant Joseph that a great famine was coming that would have wiped out the people of Egypt and the whole Middle East. And so God, Yahweh, spoke to Pharaoh. Joseph interpreted the dream. The dream. They saved up grain for seven years, ended up saving Joseph's family, plus the Egyptians, plus most of the Middle East. Yahweh provided for them. And so here you have this great nation that's become so good, so rich. How did they get rich? Because all the nations of the world were coming to buy Joseph's grain. So they were the most prosperous nation in the world to that time, and they were founded. All that wealth came because God poured out his grace upon them. Have you ever heard of a nation that maybe how God has shed their, his grace upon them? And everybody that founded it realized that they were blessed like they were because of God. But the Bible tells us that there came a generation that didn't know who God was, didn't realize that the strength of their nation and their armies was because God had blessed them. Let me tell you what, when you forget God, who God is, after he has blessed you as a nation, he will remind you who he is, but it may not be so gently next time. He says, and here's my main goal, and you can say this if you're God. If you're anybody else, you should never say this. Here is why God does what he does. I'm going to say that again. I don't want you to miss it. Why does God do everything that he does? Here it is. So he will get glory. Listen, the sooner you can recognize this about God, everything he does is for his own glory, the sooner you and him are going to get along. 
Okay? Everything that happens in your life, everything that happens in this world in the long run is going to go to give him the glory. He says, someday, soon, when this is all done, the Egyptians will know that I'm Lord. You're not going to forget me again. So when the king of Egypt was told that he had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed to the people and says, what is this we have done? We've let Israel go from serving us. We lost all this free labor. So he made ready his chariot, and he took all his huge army with him. And he took 600 of those chosen chariots I was telling you about and the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. Here they come, and the Lord had hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he pursued the people of Israel uh, down to where they were going out, and he was defiant against God. He thinks he's trapping the Israelites, but God is actually trapping Pharaoh. The Egyptians pursued them, all of Pharaoh's horses and chariots, and his horsemen and his army, and they overtook, and they encamped right down by the sea. So here they are up on the mountainside, thousands of soldiers. Here are 2 million people down below, 600,000 men, plus their wives and kids, right against the sea. And when Pharaoh draws near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes. They looked. They looked back on the hills above them. And look, the Egyptians were marching after them. And the people feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. Now remember this word for Lord. They cried out to Jehovah, Yahweh. Lord, help us. And here comes the army getting closer and closer and closer. So they say to Moses, is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not what we said to you while we were in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve them. We want to stay slaves. We want to stay in our old way of life. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die out here in the wilderness. Man, there's so many applications from this verse. I just want to make a couple for you here in the middle of the sermon. Number one, just for you personally. When is the last time that you saw trouble on the horizon and you panicked and you got all stressed out? You started dealing with a bunch of anxiety? For a lot of you, it might have even been this morning, this week, this month. I doubt very many of us have gone a year without getting all stressed out. I remember, and I'm, I'm not making light of this too much, but uh, I remember when I first started in, in youth ministry, I was 21 years old, and I had these parents call me at 9 o'clock at night. They said, we need our daughter. She was in seventh or eighth grade, something like that. And uh, they said, our daughter needs to talk to you right away. She needs counseling. We're, we're in a huge mess. I'm like, oh, my dear, I wonder what's happened. I was afraid maybe she'd try to commit suicide or something. And so I hung up the phone. I told Dee, I've got to get down to the church right now. I rushed down there, two prominent parents in our church. Here's their daughter. She was really active in the youth group. And we sit down in the youth room. I'm like, honey, what's going on? She's just crying, snot's flying everywhere. I'm getting her tissues. And I'm like, honey, what's going on? And she was like, my homecoming dance is next weekend. And my boyfriend just broke up with me. And I remember looking at the mom and dad, I'm like, you really needed me for this one? (laughs) 
you tell me what happened? She said, he just called me this evening. Now I don't have anybody to go to homecoming with. I don't know what we're going to do. She said, I thought I was going to marry him. And then it just all comes. And I'm like, what? And I knew this girl from our youth group. I didn't even know the guy she was talking about. I'm like, well, honey, how long have you been dating him? She said, three weeks. <laughs> and I just, it was all it took within me not to burst out laughing. But I knew I would be a bad youth pastor if I did that. And so I sat there, and I, I put on my youth pastor hat, and I listened, and I, I bore her burdens with her, and I tried to tell her it was going to be okay. And a few weeks after that, um, my boss came to me and said, you remember that grant we hired you with? Yeah, well, that grant runs out uh, in March, and uh, I know you wanted to work till the end of June until you went to seminary, but the grant runs out, so we're not going to be able to pay you for March, April, May, or for for April, May, and June. So $10,000, I'm out. And I just remember thinking, like, I need to go find another job, but who's going to hire me for three months before I leave and go to Dallas? I got $800 in my checking account. And so it's 9 o'clock at night. I'm panicking. And I called my pastor. I said, I need you to meet me at the church. And the tears are falling and the snot is flying. I'm following God. I'm going to seminary. I'm trying to be faithful here. True, what am I going to do? And I'm remembering, not a good counseling technique, but I had this relationship with me. He laughed at me. He laughed. He said, well, you've got to get tougher in this if you're going to be in the ministry. He said, Steve, listen, this too shall fill in the blank, pass. You guys have heard that before. This too shall pass. Now, I had told him about the girl with the homecoming date, and he said to me, he says, you know what? At 13, it's the homecoming dance. At 22, it's your job. He says, and when you're 30, it's going to be your kids. And when you're 50, it's going to be you're worried about your retirement. And when you're 60, it's going to be a bad report from your doctor. He says, and this is just one thing I've learned. He's at 65 at this point. He says, Steve, no matter what comes your way, just remember, this too shall pass. Many of you know Jack Ferguson. Um, he lives over on Oak Street a couple blocks away. Every once in a while, something will happen here at the church, and I'll go into panic mode. I'm like, oh, the church is never going to make it. How are we going to come? My career's over. I'm a terrible leader. I go over there. I, t- I talk to Jack, and you know what he tells me? He just smiles all 85 years old of him, and he said, this too shall pass. He just calms me down. Just remember that no matter what you're going through right now, no matter what Red Sea you're facing, this is what the people of Israel needed to hear. This too shall pass. Number two, have you ever been tempted when you hit up against the obstacle to go back to your old ways? to run back to your old friends. Maybe you've decided out of faith, I'm going to serve God. I'm going to do things the right way now. But then you realize, man, this is hard following Jesus. This is hard. I thought it would be easy just doing a prayer and devotion every night. But maybe we should just fall back to doing it once a week. I mean, we're really busy. The kids are tired. I don't want, to, I don't want prayer and devotion to seem like a chore to them. Whatever it is that you decide that you need to start doing, and you start doing it, it's not as easy as you thought it would be. The temptation is to go back to Egypt. 
The temptation is to go back to the old way of life where you felt comfortable and do things the way you did it for all those years that kept getting you what you were getting, but at least you knew the safety of that slavery you were once in. Let me tell you what fear does. Fear causes you to want to fall back, to retreat, to give up, and to fit in. Or three, instead of the flight response, maybe you're more like me, you want to fight. And so you're up against the Red Sea, and maybe if it, if it were me, like some people were, oh, let us go back. If I would have been in the crowd, I would have said, I got a club. You guys grab your clubs. Let's go whip this army. There's 600,000 of us. We can take them. So the temptation is to force your way and take matters into your own hands. But if the Hebrew people would have gone up against Pharaoh's army, what would have happened? We want to force our way on the others, take shortcuts, go around our Red Sea. But then God gives the people the exact words they needed to hear. And listen, I'll be honest with you. Like what we've been teaching to this point brings you to today. I'm going to share something with you now that you're going to hear over and over and over today because every one of you needs to hear it, some of you more than others. Moses hears the people freaking out, wanting to go back, take matters into their own hand. They're dealing with stress and anxiety. And Moses gives the number one command we see in all the Bible, fear not. Fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord. You don't need to fix it. You don't need to run from it. God's going to take care of it. That's why we sang that hymn earlier. Jesus, Jesus, how I what? Trust him. How do we learn to trust Jesus? Is by proving him over and over. By going through our trials in the past, we learned that we could trust Jesus. That's why we sing it out like we do. That's why we trust in that strong God who has a strong hand. I don't need to do this on my own. All I need to do is fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of Jehovah in my life. This is what God is saying to you as you face your Red Sea moment. Stand still. Stand still. Just chill, man. For the Egyptians who you see today, you shall never see again. What's he saying it again another way? In 10 years, you will have forgotten all about this. How many of you remember something you were stressed out about 10 years ago, and now it's just a faint memory in your mind? And you look back and you're like, man, worry is the price that I paid for troubles that never came. Are you like me with that? You just start thinking through all the worst case scenarios of things that can go wrong. And you worry and worry and worry. And then when it's over, you're like, well, that wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. Worry is the price you pay for troubles that may never come. So he gives them these words, the Lord, Jehovah, will fight for you. And you have only to be silent. So the Lord says to Moses, why do you cry out to me? 
tell the people to go forward. Go forward. I've got a Red Sea here in front of me. Lift up your staff. Here's how you're going to do it. Stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. That the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And I will, here's God's number one priority. Don't ever forget, God's number one priority is what? That he will get the glory. Just stand still and watch God get his glory. That's what he's telling them. You see, you're focusing back there. I need you to focus forward. God doesn't give you a rear view mirror in life. Just stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. I will get glory over Pharaoh and his, ho his host, his chariots, his horsemen. And then the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. They forgot who I am. Now they know. They won't forget after this day when I have gotten the glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who was going before the host of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and the people of Israel. And there was this cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night behind them without one coming near the other. The Egyptians couldn't get to them. Man, when God is protecting you, the whole world, the devil himself, can't get to you. So just stand firm and be still and see the salvation of the Lord. Now, I will tell you, just about every movie I've ever seen, in fact, every movie I've ever seen gets this next part wrong. Never seen one get it right. Watch this. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night. And he made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. You, you see in Charlton Heston or the Prince of Egypt or whatever, Christian Bale movie, it's just like, and it's done. That's not the way it worked. Is all night long, God's breath from his nostrils were going out and parting the sea on both sides so that there's this path between it and it's on dry ground. Now, that time of year, it's in the spring. It's right at the spring equinox. That means you had about 12 hours of daylight and 12 hours of darkness. What does that mean? That night when God started blowing his air through his nostrils, they could see the Egyptians behind them. But when they went to bed or they're sitting up at night, but all during the darkness in the middle, they don't have electricity back then. You see what I'm saying? When the sun goes down, the sea's still there. It's not till the sun comes up 12 hours later that they realize God's just made a path for us. They had to go through, it wasn't like Moses lifted and it's just like the movies. They had to go through 12 hours of thinking, we're going to die. I don't know, listen, I don't know if you've been going through 12 hours of your desert Red Sea experience, 12 weeks, 12 months, 12 years. Married to someone who doesn't care. Kids in rebellion. A job that you hate. Some kind of health issue that's going on. You've been dealing with it a long time. You think it's forever right now. All God is doing is saying to you, stand still. See the salvation of the Lord. I'm going to get my glory out of this. Just be still and know that I am God. Then the people of Israel went to the midst of the sea on dry ground, 
Man, that's just a bunch of a miracle. Have you ever gone after a lake's dried up or whatever step? You sink. No, it's all dry. The water's being a wall to them on the right hand or the left. It wasn't some tsunami or pulled away. It's, it's a flat-out miracle. It's scientifically impossible. The Egyptians pursued, and they went in after them in the midst of the sea. All of Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen. Here they come. And in the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of the fire and of the cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces, and he threw them into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And then the Egyptians said, let us flee before Israel, for Jehovah fights for them against the Egyptians. Now they know who he, even the army, the soldiers know who God is. This is a losing battle, Pharaoh. We got to get out of here. But before they have a chance, the Lord says to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea that the water may come back upon the Egyptians and upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. So Moses did it, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea, and not one of them remained. Now, i got to say this before I go on to the next verse. I'm saying this especially to those of you 22 and under. It applies to all of us, but especially to those who are younger in our audience today. we got the kids in here with us. This is something that if you're seven or eight years old, you, mommies and daddies, make sure they're listening to this. Just like the Pharaoh soldiers followed him into the Dead Sea to their death, listen, young, young folks. Be careful who you follow in life. This is one thing that I've learned over and over again. Be careful who you're following at school. Be careful who you're listening to. Be careful who's telling you what to do and you do it. If they're asking you to do something wrong that goes against what the Bible says, listen, they are Pharaoh to you. They don't care about you. They're only worried about their own glory, and it may even lead to your death. I have never talked to a recovering addict who didn't first have some person of influence in their life who talked them into trying that first drink or taking that first illegal drug. It's not like they just woke up someday and said, hey, I'll try this new substance. No, somebody got it in their hands. Somebody said, hey, won't you try this? You'll like it. Watch it, folks. Watch, get those pharaohs out of your life. They will lead you to trouble. But those who followed the Lord, who followed Moses... They walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on the right and left. And thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hands of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord Jehovah had used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord. And they believed in the Lord. And in his servant Moses. Let me close with these thoughts. Israel, watch this, Israel went through a lot of stress because they didn't believe and trust in the Lord until they got to the other side of the Red Sea. 
Listen, if you will just trust in the Lord for your salvation to get you through whatever problem you have on this side of the Red Sea, the path through the Red Sea is going to be a lot easier and a lot less stressful. Do you understand that? I had a grandma that dropped out of school in third grade. She couldn't read all that well. Her name's Mama Jessie. Mama Jessie's still alive. She's my only grandparent, still kicking. She's been kicking 10, 15 years past the rest of them. And I'm convinced that part of it is because when Mama Jessie wakes up in the morning, she ain't worried about anything, never has been. I remember when I had that disease in my leg and all the doctors and everybody else was telling me I'd never walk in. Mama Jessie would just say, don't worry, Stevie, Lord will take care of it. This too shall pass. Don't you worry. And man, I'll tell you what, she's never going to die of a heart attack. She doesn't stress out because every day she just wake up, ah, the Lord will be just fine. Don't you worry about it. And I can just remember thinking how many times Mama Jessie was so clueless. But she was actually the one that a lot of times it was the only one that had faith on this side of the Red Sea. Put your trust in God first and your Red Sea experience won't be nearly as scary. Number two, you don't need to get revenge. This is what God says, the great avenger. He says, vengeance is mine and recompense for the time when their foot shall slip for the day of their calamity is hand and their doom comes swiftly. Someone has acted against you in nefarious ways. Listen, this is what God's saying. You don't have to get them back. God will take care of it. One thing that I found in, in counseling experience, and I, I got to watch how I say this, but just my own personal experience, but statistics bear this out as well. About one out of three women in this room have either been emotionally, I mean, have been sexually or physically abused. And maybe you reported to law, and I'm glad you did, but things haven't happened the way you wanted them to, or that person seems like they got away with it, or nobody's doing anything about it, or nobody believed what you said, or whatever situation you've been in. And the fact is, today, it's about one out of six males have been sexually abused. I'm just here to tell you what God is saying, the great avenger with a capital A they're going to get theirs. And a lot of times we talk in church about how God is a forgiving God and a merciful God. And listen, he is all that. And I thank God for it because I deserve hell just like everybody else. But do, do not be mocked. Do not be deceived. God will not be mocked. There's going to come a time when their foot will slip and their day of calamity will be at hand and they will be doomed. If they don't turn to Jesus, they're doomed. So even though vengeance doesn't come in your time, don't be deceived. God's going to work it out. Then finally, just do what the Bible is telling you when you come to your Red Sea. And just be still and know that God's in control. That's what Mama Jesse would say all the time. So God's going to take care of it, Stevie. Just be still. Let God be God. God's going to get his glory. He will be exalted among the nations. He will be exalted in the earth. 
And that fear not verse that's in the Bible 365 times, the number one command that we see over and over again, this is what I'm telling you here, folks. I need, I need to say it again and again and again and again. And here in a minute, the choir is going to sing it again and again and again and again. Be still and know that he is God. Be still and watch Jehovah get his glory because God's going to work through whatever you're going through right now. You're saying, man, Steve, you don't know what I'm going through. You're right. I don't know what most of you are going through. I haven't been through what you're going through right now, but I'm just telling you through God's word, his promise, he will work this out and he will get the glory right now. What you just need to do is what? Be still and know that there's a God in heaven who's on the throne and he's in control. And like that homecoming dance, like that three months without a job, it's going to be okay to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord.